Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz pod. Matt, Jordan and Tom all here to discuss well the latest goings on with Watford and quite possibly the poorest showing I've seen in some time. But before we get into that, how is everyone doing on this uh, Monday evening? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of days to to get past the, uh, the performance. I think we can now look at it a little bit more objectively and um, yeah, feeling good. Yeah, Tom? I made the decision to go out and get fairly drunk after the game, so I've had to <laughs> re-remember everything that I thought I saw at the time by listening to from the recreant and do not scratch your eyes. So views may contain traces of other people's views today. <laughs> oh, that, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the views that we that we have will be shared amongst the community. Um well, I started off by saying that it was probably one of the worst performances I've seen in in a long time. Um Jordan, can you think of something worse this season? Oh God, um, you know what? I probably could if I sat, if I could look back through all the fixtures and think about it. But there was, I mean, there's a recency bias to it. But it was pretty poor. Uh, it was not a good performance in, you know, many areas. When it comes to the personnel, I thought you know you can you can discuss the coaching, the the players on the pitch too. It's just wasn't good it was it was unpleasant to watch it wasn't easy viewing at all there was nothing kind of exciting or entertaining about it that's for sure so I mean I guess the only thing you could say is we didn't lose at least but uh, it, it definitely was not a good showing no no it wasn't at all do you know what the thing for me was it might not be the worst performance of the season in so far as we had Millwall and Swansea and Millwall but <laughs> actually Millwall yeah yeah um, <laughs> it was just so boring like nothing happened. I, I didn't feel anything. I'd rather have watched the Mill away performance on repeat because then at least I'd have been angry. I just didn't feel anything. It was just numbingly. It was insipid. It was boring. Nothing happened in that first half and Preston contributed to that as well. But it was just so dismally dire. It was, yeah, awful and nothing gained. Yeah. You know, what I think as well. I think one of the, one of the aspects that, that kind of plays into that is just the fact that we'll expect it too. Uh, I don't think that game was a shock to to pretty much anyone uh, going into that. That's you know that's watched enough of us this year. And there was a there was a tweet that was that was posted out. I can't even remember who it was right now. It might have been it was some podcast or something. I can't even recall. If you do, if you do remember, just you know you can you can say it for me. But uh, kind of comparing the the, the final fixtures of of the teams, the championship and seeing who has the easiest running. I think we were the easiest in terms of our opponents coming up. And, you know, I think a lot of us felt quite, quite similar that, you know, th- this may be on paper, technically we're playing the easiest running, but for us, the team that we are, 
you know, we, we don't play well against these sorts of sides. We, we, we don't elevate ourselves. We don't dominate games. And I thought, you know, for a reactive team such as us, it was, it was kind of the worst case situation. And we, we saw that in this one, it was, it was, it was very poor. And it, as I said, it, it wasn't a shock. We saw it coming. It was, it was extremely disappointing. And it's again, another example of us not being able to, uh, to actually kind of influence things and, and take things into our own hands and just, and just be that kind of reactive side. I agree mm. totally. That worries me more than if we, mm. it, well, I think we're the average position is like 15th of our remaining opponents, isn't it? I saw that graphic as well. Yeah. Quite a lot. I'm just but looking now. Yeah. We, we yeah. Play. Well, I mean, this is, this is something I, I did discuss briefly, but you know, the, in, in my opinion, there's, there is a, there is a kind of technical aspect to it as well that I think, you know, we, we talk about the, the way we play and the lack of identity and so on. One of the things we do have, uh, we, we do have quality in certain areas. And I think that is, exhibited more and given them more an opportunity to, to show itself when we're playing in positions where we have space we can use those powerful players like Ken Semma, Ismail Assar, Jao Pedro when he's carrying the ball and so on but we need that space to work in I don't think it's a coincidence that we got a, a decent run of results against that, those top teams we played in that kind of three game succession I don't think that was in some ways if you look at the kind of underlying picture I don't think it's, that was a surprise either and that, when I see us at the, at the kind of top of the easy running list or the bottom I guess depending on the way this is scheduled but we have got the easiest running you know, theoretically it concerns me a lot because if teams look at that Preston game it's not particularly tough to stop us. And that was at home, you know, we should, we should be able to dominate that. And yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it's not, it's not promising. Um, it's not a promising direction that we're, we're kind of going in when we should be looking to kind of, you know, push towards the playoffs and win these games. Uh, it's quite concerning. Do you know what baffles me? It's Matt, I'll sense you keep trying to get in with a question, but I'm not going to let you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that teams actually come to Vicarage Road and play like that now? Like, with yeah. enough games into the season and enough performances like that at home and under Slaven Village that if I was pressing, I might come and set up like that and just ease my way into it and kind of, you know, sound it out a little bit to begin with. But if I was Ryan Lowe at half-time, I said these lot are absolutely useless. They've got no penetration, yeah. no plan, no anything. You can bloody get that crowd on their back. They, you know, the confidence is fragile the relationship between team and support is so brittle there was no atmosphere in the first half on on saturday um and, and fair enough why why should there be it was abysmal but you know get a goal and or get a few chances they will crumble under the pressure the crowd will turn on them and if preston score one on saturday i reckon they'd have scored three because although they're not a high scoring team i just think everything is just hanging by a thread at this stage it would have been, you know, it would have been complete and utter collapse in in every sense. Um, so it just, it just baffles me that teams come and bother playing like that. I know they, they, they've all got this idea that we're this big former Premier League team with brilliant players. But really, if they do the research and analysis, they all tell us they do. There's nothing that would scare me about playing Watford at the moment, the, the way we're actually performing. No, I think I think as long as that first half is, is made that attritional kind of battle that it became there's nothing to stop you kind of opening up a little bit and, and becoming a little bit more taking a few more risks in the second half from looking from an opponent perspective and you know I think there are teams that we're going to come up against that will do that to us still uh, you know even just kind of looking at our next fixture against QPR I think that's an opportunity I don't know we're the away team in that one but regardless I think we are there for the taking somewhat uh, and, and the fragility of that, not just a relationship between the fans and the team, but also just the, the team itself. You know, we, they don't have a strong character when they go behind and when they're trying to break teams down. It's just so, so 
stumbling and stuttering and difficult to watch. I just think that um, I think that other teams would be quite quite confident they can start to you know open up a little bit. Even though they do have to respect that risk, we do we do pose on the counter at times too. Uh, it's definitely not the proposition that they would probably have expected, you know, seven eight months ago. And by the way, QPR, I've done it to you again, Matt, haven't I? By the way, QPR, <laughs> one win since 28th of October, which was at Preston, who are poor at home. Uh, five straight defeats, five defeats in six. You know, new manager taking, what, his first home game, possibly at that point, Gareth Ainsworth, or second home game. Physical, will bully us. You can be sure of that. He might only have been in a couple of weeks, but we know all about his Wickham team. Oh, yeah, would put money on us losing that because we're also fairly, fairly poor away, aren't we? So I just yeah, we don't like playing what... losing teams. We don't that's like playing it. losing teams. No, it's it's not. Yeah, it's the scary proposition, but um, that's the positive stuff out of the way anyway. So what's uh, <laughs> where I'm, I'm are we going sure, from here? I'm not sure what teams we like playing at the minute, though. We're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't like playing no. any team. Basically, if they play football, no. it's a it's a trial <laughs> for us. Uh, and don't don't worry about uh, about you. Just go ahead there, Tom, because yeah, uh, I, I was told ahead of uh, ahead of this pod to let you loose, and um, <laughs> and um, I'm doing just that. Um, right, okay. Um, ahead of this game, then uh, there was a couple of changes, um, and I think a few people were surprised by these changes, particularly given the opposition that we were against. Um, the two changes were Craig Kafka and Henrik Arouge. Uh, that came in for Mario Gaspar and Keenan Davis. Um, a point that you wanted to make, Tom, was that it was harsh uh, on Gaspar. You think uh, who had been? Uh, yeah, and I'll agree with you here. Who had been, uh, you know, promising lately? Yeah, look, I wasn't opposed to Cathcart coming in. I think the, the idea of him coming in at right back has been thrown around because he's the one that people out of our centre halves can tolerate, I guess, and. Um, He's done well at right back before, although I must admit, I can't remember if he's played there since he played there in the Norwich game um, a couple of seasons ago and obviously had a good game and surprised everybody. So I wasn't opposed to it, but I just felt like Gaspar for the first time these last few weeks has been at it and looked comfortable and looked like he's getting there and has kind of universally been lauded for his performances in a a sea of mediocrity. Um, So to drop him at that point just kind of felt a little bit harsh and a little bit trying to crowbar Cathcart in. Someone tweeted us actually on Saturday, and I forget who it was, so apologies. It was an interesting point. Don't necessarily agree, but it was an interesting point. It said, is it a soft way of kind of taking the captaincy back off João Pedro and, you know, getting Cathcart in there for someone that's been in and out anyway this season? Um, I don't know if there's any merit in that, but yeah, I just, I thought Gaspar probably one of the few that hasn't done anything to deserve being dropped in recent times the only kind of logic I could make for it maybe is that it gives you the option to slide into a back three kind of in the game push James Morris on a bit more but you know at home playing a back four you could reasonably assume that both fullbacks would get the license to bomb on and, and if you really need that support then Hamza Chowdhury drops in as he's done and, and obviously played centre half for Leicester so um, I can't even say that with much conviction to be honest. And then the other one was uh, Keenan Davis dropping out for Enrique Arouge, um, who had to play for the whole 45 minutes up against Bambo Diaby, who's, uh, you know, for, for, forgive my language here, a bit of a brick shithouse. And uh, <laughs> I don't believe uh, that was really the ideal 
scenario for him, um, it would have been maybe better for, for for perhaps the guy that we'd just taken out uh, in Davis. From so, our big brick shit house. <laughs> what, what what did you make of that of that decision, Jordan? Did that one surprise you? Um, I don't know if it surprised me. I think Davis has been quite poor. I think what surprised me is that we didn't do anything to to mitigate that that matchup. Um, you know, they don't. You don't have to be lined up so linear that you you're going to be you know occupied by that defender the entire time. You can you know find ways to to create space and, and get your striker in advantageous positions. You know you want to pull that guy around. And I think Diaby had a really good game um, against both Arouge and and Davis when he came on too. But you know you want to you you want to find a way to to make it favourable for you. And you know whilst if you look at a physical matchup, of course Arouge is going to come off second best. He's not the most physical. Regardless, let alone when he's playing against someone who, who physicality is a is a you know big component of their game. Uh, so you know you got to ask the question: Why aren't we doing more to to put him into better situations? Because, by the same token, you know if you get him into into wide areas, you get him into space, and then the is not going to be as comfortable if he's having to kind of be be pulled out of defence and and find ways to deal with erosion that way. So you know on paper, I don't think it was a bad thing. I think the the, the change is fine, but when you just kind of put him in there and just kind of plug and play and just see what happens, which is kind of really how it comes across, then, you know, I, I don't think you can expect too much more than what we saw, really. He he tried his best and, you know, he, he did get his back to the goal a couple of times and, and came came deep to try and pick up the ball or, or get built, sorry, get involved with link-up play and build-up. But, you know, he, he was he was kind of really bottled by by the RB for the, uh, the entire 45. So... Yeah, I mean the change as I said on paper makes sense, but the execution was was pretty poor from the coach and the player. I'm afraid. Mm. Tom, what was your thoughts on that? It's harsh to judge him, isn't it? Because for all the reasons Jordan just outlined, it, you know, it wasn't his game, his situation to come into, and as I said, nothing happened in that first half. We sort of aimlessly hoofed the ball forward a few times and kind of asked him to battle for it and he's not a small forward necessarily but he's not got the physique of someone like Davis um, Brett Sombolonga who you know got a bit more muscle and, and whatnot about them a bit more girth essentially about them um, you know that's that's not his game so it's kind of harsh to judge him on that so I don't want to do that but I, I would I would echo what Jordan said in terms of the kind of decision to bring him in in that situation Um I can't really remember anything that he did, to be honest with you. And even the kind of the the simple things that you might go if you're clutching at straws, you might say, "Oh, well, he had a couple of nice touches or little bits." And I don't think he even really had those because we just didn't have possession in in that area of the field at all. So it was harsh to hook him, given the lack of service. But it's, it's harsh to judge him too much either. You do wonder at this point what on earth was the 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 logic behind the loan because it's. It's looking like a bit of a busted flush already, isn't it? For, for me, he showed a lot of willing, but um, he was largely ineffectual. So it didn't, you know, it didn't really matter if he was if he was uh, trying hard because he, mm. he wasn't able to do much with what with with what we gave him really. No, he's not in a position to succeed, and it's just as Tom said as well. It's tough to judge him on that position, but you know, I think for me, what it does. Um, emphasize or reiterate even a little bit is the fact that you know when you mentioned about what's the point of the loan you know we've got we're in that situation that transitional kind of phase where our recruitment isn't matched up to our coach still and you know maybe Blish doesn't fancy a version he's a player that we we thought was available and that could come in and add something but 
you know, Butch isn't doing much to to find a way to use him or, you know, use him effectively at least. So, you know, it's another one of those kind of square peg situations that we find ourselves in, which is, is frustrating because we still have a shot of playoffs. So we, you know, we should have a shot of playoffs. So, yeah, frustrating. And the performance didn't work out how we how we wanted to because, you know, looking at the lineup, it was actually a decent, decent 11, I'd say, going into the game. But um, it did not play like, uh, like, like that team could have. Mm, indeed. Right. On the buzz, we very often uh, ask the people who listen to us if they want to put a question into us and we'll answer those at the end of the show. But today we've decided to do something a little bit different. We're going to be going through uh, our general chat, going through the game. And as we come up to points that have been asked as questions, we'll um, point out who it was that uh, that asked the question and integrate it into uh, the, the the rest of the chat. So we've come up with our first one here. This one comes from Hornets Swarm 1. Uh, he wants to know what was the point of Kafka at right back as we've just been talking about Kafka and also the changes for this game. Uh, he also goes on to say that he didn't see what tactical difference he made uh, over Gaspar. So, Tom. Yeah, I wish I knew is the answer, to be honest. It's a very valid and very pertinent question. I think... As I said a second ago, the thing is, you know, Preston, we knew they were going to be, uh, or it became very apparent very early on that they were going to be quite limited in their ambition. And in that situation, you really want a fullback, I think, that's going to, you know, go on, go into midfield, commit, going forward and, and, and give you another dimension, another outlet. Someone like Kiko Femenia, historically, the closest thing we've got at the moment is Jao Ferreira. He's obviously just about coming back from injury but I think Craig Cathcart is about the most kind of removed right back from that sort of player that you can possibly put in there isn't he because great though he is a lot of things um, he is ultimately a centre-back he's ultimately getting on he's never been Mr Mobile or Mr Quick he is not going to be getting up and down that line as we saw though we saw that in his performance at Norwich all those years ago um, so yeah, I, I would have thought that in the circumstances, Gaspar would have been the better pick, which makes you wonder if, you know, there was an ulterior motive there. Did Bilic just really want to reintegrate Cathcart? Did he want Cathcart's leadership? I don't, I don't, I can't really put my my finger on on that one. I have to say, can can either of you? Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, he. He obviously he obviously is the vice captain, and there's there's an argument that you'd want your his mate he's basically been the captain for most of the season, hasn't he? With with withstanding uh, with the little stint that Pedro had, um, because cleverly he's been out for the majority of the time, hasn't he? So, I mean, you can understand that argument, but um, I mean, Craig Cuthcott's never really struck me as being a particularly fantastic right back. He's always been to me, you know, a makeshift will be able to play that position when given the opportunity to, but firmly uh, a centre-back and, and right-sided at that. So, I mean, Mario Gaspar's been playing right-back his whole career. Yes, he didn't start off particularly well this season playing that position for us, but he kind of found his feet, weirdly, in midfield and then kind of got better at right-back once he was redeployed over there later on. So, and, and as you said, Tom, he was, he was looking... You know, it wasn't looked like a world beater, but he was looking all right. And I don't, I didn't see the, the need, particularly after. Did we have a whole week of um, recovery there? I think from the last game. So yeah, there was no Saturday. Saturday wasn't. Yeah, it? so there's no. There, I, I didn't see the need for for Gaspar to, 
to drop out. But um, yeah, maybe maybe that's the only thing I can think of. The like, like you say there, Tom, the um, the the leadership qualities that Cathcart has. Although, I mean, he's, he's not a, he's not really a shouter, is he? I can't really hear him from the uh, from the from the stand. No, I think maybe you could question you know, if you question the, the size defensive um, capability as a, as a whole, then maybe you feel that they bring Cathcart in. Adds a little bit more solidity. He definitely, you know, plays it safe, which uh, you can. There's, there's an element of, you know, you, it is a bonus to have someone that can do that. And right back is an area that we'd like to offer some. Maybe you'd think that you've got the winger that can take on that offense, offensive responsibility himself. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but you know, I think even if you perhaps had a more competent left back, if if, if Kamara was playing and you felt like Kamara was going to spend a lot of time in the opposition half, you want to be a little sturdy and you know, have that centre back playing in that right back position, you can shift across that back line to, to help cover in for Kamara and you've got Cray kind of filling in in that kind of hybrid role, then sure. But, you know, Morris is hardly uh, bombing up and down the wings uh, throughout the game. So it, it was a slightly odd one. I do get the tendency to bring, oh, sorry, the, um, the, the kind of wants to bring Craig back in. I wouldn't have been against him even coming in at centre-back. I think it's, it's fine to include him back in the team. I think we did. If you go back and, and, and look at some of the goals we conceded in the recent weeks without him, you know, whilst the centre-back pairing has been has been good for, for large portions, there have been times where they've not been, you know, completely perfect by any means. So it's, it's a slightly odd one. I think the, the, the changes in, you know, personnel, the use of different players has been a little bit strange. It's been one of the criticisms of Bilic. And I, I can definitely see the argument for um, for that in regards to Gaspar being dropped because as he said, Matt, he was really kind of finding his feet and it was the best he's been playing for us in, in these recent couple of weeks. Mm, it was. I mean, when I, when I saw the team sheet initially, I had to do a double take because I thought that we had we'd gone for a three at the back uh, until yeah. I realised that um, we just had the one striker on the pitch and it would be more of the same. But I, I was I was kind of hopeful we were going to be changing it to I don't know maybe a three five two or something like that. But yeah, I know I three five two. I was kind of I was I was honestly before kickoff full lineup came out. I was hopeful. I thought I I did have the feeling that the Cathcart would come back in, and I was kind of hopeful that it would be <clears throat> in that back three, um, and and try and maybe find a way to to kind of change things a little bit. I think we'll probably get into this later on. But for me, with the strikers we have available and the way they've been operating, it, it feels like we need to kind of get some bodies in those forward positions and even. Even Bilic himself mentioned about having, you know, that missing something in the box. And I think, you know, finding a way to maybe get some sort of partnership in the forward areas would have helped. So I kind of did have that feeling we maybe were going to switch to something like a 3-5-2 just to give us those extra bodies in the box, but also to accommodate the the inclusion of Cathcart back into that back line. But yeah, we didn't even really try it at any point. I, I'm surprised we didn't kind of switch to it later on either. But yeah, it, odd one, definitely. Mm. Well, shall we talk about that then? Because uh, it's another question uh, that has been posed to us. This one from at Nordin Wouter. And he says, is it time to have a proper go with two up front? This is the prevailing kind of social media debate, isn't it? Certainly listening to Do Not Scratch Your Eyes, Twitter space um, after Sheffield United. A lot of people were kind of calling in, as it were, to, to say we should go to a, a front two now, Keenan Davis alone isn't the answer, but a rouge, a rouge um, probably isn't someone that can play up front on his own either. And, and together they might be more effective. I'm all 
for that because yes i can see the logic in pairing those two together and kind of riffing off one another but it's the payoff in the rest of the team you you ultimately have to drop someone don't you and go three at the back because i just don't i don't see a world in which billich goes um goes 442 personally i just think that's fairly kind of outmoded these days at this at this level of football and have we got the the players that could do that as a, a two with kind of real wingers either side I, I don't think we have and and given what we know about Bilic and what he's done previously I think the times that he has played a back three it was kind of out of necessity really um and that he's you know whenever he's got the, the choice he goes with the back four so I don't think we're going to see it and I'm not sure I necessarily want to make the sacrifice required to see it that said it probably means dropping a winger and Ismail Asar's in no kind of form. So it does that make it a little bit awkward as well? I wonder if politically Bilic and, and, you know, we know he can be brilliant. So in a team that lacks a bit of quality at times, do you kind of put all your eggs in that Saar-shaped basket? I'm not, I'm pretty sure that that's certainly how Billich feels anyway. Would you like to know Billich's opinion on this one, Tom? Because he has been asked this by the Watford Observer. Yes, go for it. Yes, tell me. Well, he said, um, these are are direct quotes from him. He said, two rather than one, question mark. We finished the game like that. To be fair, you are losing too much and it's more like gambling, you know. In modern football teams who play with two strikers, they don't have orthodox wingers. They play with midfielders or with fullbacks who are great offensively. I'm not sure we have that at the moment. We've done it a few times and finished like that. Um, but uh, we've lost that stability on the pitch. I don't mind finishing the game like that or playing one part of a game like that. But to start a game with that, I'm not saying the opponent will be more dangerous towards our goal, but I'm saying we won't create enough. We have tried it a few times. Not from the start, I agree. But um, he doesn't believe it will work. So that, that's his opinion. I think that's interesting. I hadn't, I wasn't aware of that. Um, kind of makes sense. And the last time we probably played an out and out too consistently was at the beginning of Vladimir Ivic's season, wasn't it, or half season, where he played Saar and Pedro, and we kind of played three four, three five two, three four one two sort of thing. And then prior to that, though, we played it with uh, Javi Gracia, didn't we? And we played kind of Hughes and Pereira in a kind of box midfield and. That was very effective as well. I agree. We don't have the personnel to do that either. So makes sense. Um, I'm not. I'm not banging the door down for it. But um, what do you two think? I mean, I think I, I don't know. I, I get the. I get his point. You know, to generally, if you if you're going to do that, you have to make some compromises to to keep some solidity. Uh, and if you are going to play, if you don't have the kind of more technical midfielders you know as you say Hughes and Perea kind of making up those outside positions in under Havigrathia we don't necessarily have that <clears throat> and if you do use those you've got to compensate with the more attacking fullbacks now I do disagree a little bit if Ferreira and Kamara were available then I think you do have the, the fullbacks to, to play that way but you know I think the thing is for me if you look at the the, the quality of the league and the quality of players that we, we do possess this is there's kind of two points to this A we, we have the players that 
you could take a few risks uh, and be a little bit more offensive minded, especially given the the issues we're having because we're just really not scoring goals, you know, consistently. And when we do, you go back and look at the goals we have scored, you know, the Sheffield United game or the West Brom game, the, the Burnley game as well. They're all kind of quite chaotic, not structured goals that we've kind of carved out nicely. It's it's very improvised and so on. So if you if you have to take a few risks and maybe play, you know, you could you could play Semmer and, and Sarah in the wide areas and you can almost make a, a slight kind of half measure tweak if you really wanted to and just, you know, say, Joe Pedro, you've got to play a little bit more advanced. We've got to have you come, come in deep a little bit less. I know it's going to maybe sacrifice some of that progression from midfield. You might have to play this a bit more direct, maybe ask Imran Loser to kind of play more vertical and, and take a few more risks in possession, maybe not dominate the ball as much, but try and get the ball forward quickly and allow Jao Pedro to still drop at times, but to, to occupy that forward position a little bit more or you know, even get himself into the box a little bit more. We know he can be effective there and you play a 4-4-2 and you, you kind of see what happens because right now we're effectively doing that in a, in a more defensive shape. When we're not, It's not like we've got this 4-2-3-1 that we've got that's drilled, everyone knows their positions, we've got kind of some cohesion, but it's just not quite clicking. We're simply not making chances. Um, we're doing okay defensively, but we're by no means perfect there either. Uh, and we're really flagging and you know this is the stage of the season you've got to be taking risks and personally I fancy our chances and I'd actually kind of rather watch us try to to I mean I thought we had this conversation before we're trying to shoot our way out of our problem a little bit um, uh, and see if we can get some attacking players into that lineup and, and find different ways of uh, of getting routes through to goal because currently what we are doing isn't working if he talks about what personnel we have available and what suits you know, I mean, you'd have to ask if he thinks the the person that he has available now suits the, the way we're currently playing. It doesn't seem like it on the pitch. What do you make of the argument that I've seen um, during the rounds that Jao Pedro should be deployed uh, in a different position because currently we are not good enough to have a 10 within our setup. So someone with his talent could be used better effectively, perhaps wider or as one of a pair of strikers uh, rather than... I actually, the, I actually posted a poll for this yesterday as it happens. Did you? Um, yes, I did. I, I I stipulated him as a striker, so as a central figure. It could be in a two, but I mean, I think there's also an argument you could even make for Jao Pedro being the, 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 the sole striker in a front three if you had Sar, Semmer and Pedro. Um, that you don't have to play Davis or Rouge, you know, there's, there's a p- potential option for us. Uh, and, and I posted a poll and it... We fell down at 61% voted to playing him a striker and 39% said to leave him where he is. Mm. So, I mean, this is this is obviously, you know, you can put whatever worth you, whatever weight of kind of value you want into that. But how many responses I think, was what, that, Jordan? Uh, 718. Ah, that's a, that's a fair few. Yeah. So, I mean, and look, I mean, it doesn't necessarily solve our issues, right? And I think too, I'm not sure I'd even categorize Pedro as a as a ten. Or if he if he do, he's he's all about the carrying of the ball. You know, that's where he gets that that progression from. Um, he comes very deep. You know, we we discussed this a ton. He drops to the left, picks up the ball, carries, beats three men, gets fouled, or plays the ball out wide and gets recycled back in. And that's great. It's really, it's you know, brilliant. It's good, especially for a team that's counterattacking. Unfortunately, we don't get the opportunity to do that too much given the way the team is set up against us. Also, um, when they have got someone that carries the ball like that, it does obviously take longer to get the ball forward. And I think once teams, when teams are sitting back and they have that time to kind of organise and get into shape, 
if it doesn't move super quick, our players, our, our forward players, especially not playing particularly well in the striking positions, they get contained quite quickly. And we're not really finding, as great as it looks and as great as he is, he's definitely he's our best player, in my opinion, for sure. And you know I think he's a, a huge asset for us. But oftentimes, him carrying the ball from deep looks great. But how effective is it in terms of us creating opportunities? Not as much as we'd like, and I do. And what I do wonder is if if we could get him using his qualities. Maybe not. Maybe it's not what he's as comfortable at doing or what his natural talent is. But we know where his quality. We know he has qualities in multiple ways. Do we find a way to get him in more advanced positions and just be that guy that can be there, not necessarily like a central striker or a centre forward, but someone that can still drop deep but have a commitment to get into the box and be there to get on the end of more things rather than trying to create because his creativity gets up to that final point, but it's not like we're in a position, not just down to him, down to those around him, the way teams are playing, but he's not able to really influence the game from a creative perspective outside of that carrying right now. And I think I think we are suffering a bit for it, despite how good he is at doing it. Mm. Does that make sense? Is that I don't know if I, if I articulated that well enough, but um, no, my point ultimately, my point is I think it's 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 a valid question to raise as to whether we could find ways to get Jao Pedro in the team, even if it's not his best in in an ideal situation. Could it help where we are now? Because as I touched on earlier, we are in that transitional phase. The squad isn't perfect, and even as Bilic also mentioned, um, we, we're not necessarily set up for every style of play every system so we've got to kind of find ways to make it work as best we can what would you rather see jordan would you rather see two up front or would you rather see that uh three across that you mentioned with with pedro in between sar and Semmer? um would you rather try on a rouge and, and davis maybe it's a good question though i think for me i i don't think i would try Arouge and Davis necessarily. I think if it was to go for it, I think no matter what, I'm I'm playing Jao Pedro and I'm not I'm trying not to play him wide. So I think it would be um, either Arouge, uh, either Arouge and Davis or Davis, sorry, up front with Pedro and giving Pedro a little bit of license to drop deep, but just ask him to get in the box a little bit more, or simply play him in that central position and uh, and try and get the ball forwards from other routes. You know, if you if you play him as a central figure in that front three, if you have Semer and Sari the either side for example, and then you know, does it give you some different options in midfield? Progression's been bad from a passing sense, but maybe if you have Kone and Luzo in front of Shadri, does that give you something more to work with? Could we find the ball a little bit quicker forwards? And then when we do get it there, Pedro's kind of, you know, Pedro's got that physicality, but he's also got that touch and finesse too, where he can link things up. And, you know, what we expected from Bilic, we expected to see those wingers being really, really drawn into that central figure and, and playing off them and, and looking to create opportunities, goal-scoring opportunities. We haven't seen that enough, and we thought there was an indication of that when Saar was switched to the left-hand side. We thought, okay, Billy's just trying to get him to, you know, Saar is notorious for being extremely wide and he plays. Switching into that left just kind of forces him naturally to, to occupy a more narrow position. Are we trying to kind of get that out of that, that forward player? But nothing's really happened from that. It didn't really kind of transpire into anything, and it's kind of reverted back to him playing on the right, and and we are where we are. So I, I would like to see a change at least to, to, to kind of indicate some level of proactivity and, and perhaps a look for a solution. Pedro's been the one who's often been bringing the ball forward for Watford. He was dropping very deep uh, recently, and, and he's the one that you, you've, you've been seeing him trying to build things and bring it through. If he is deployed higher up, you're going to have to be asking questions of the midfield to to you know carry on with that, and I suppose you'd be looking directly at Loser, who had his first ninety minutes on Saturday, uh, and I don't know, at least for a few, didn't didn't flatter uh, 
perhaps he's still working his way back into it, but um, he'll certainly be very important if if Pedro is going to be moved higher up. You'd say, Jordan? Yeah, you might have to. Yeah, you you might just have to go a little bit more direct. You know, if you are if Davis was to play up for up front with him or something, you might have to go a little bit more direct at times or. You know, try and get the fullbacks, take a few more risks and pass the ball forward a little quicker down the wings and, you know, maybe not have as much possession as we have had. But again, the possession without any sort of intent or any sort of direction is pointless anyway. So I'm not against trying to take a few more risks in forward areas. Maybe we don't start the game like that. Maybe Bilic doesn't feel comfortable too. I, I understand what he's saying. But at a certain point, is it worse than what we're seeing? I don't know because I'm not seeing I'm not seeing the the risk or kind of the the opportunity to really improve with what we're doing. It's kind of where we are is kind of representative of what we're putting together on the pitch. It's not these not what we're getting unfortunate in these results. And yeah, loses an important part. He's a good player, and I think he wasn't great against Preston, but there wasn't there wasn't a ton of build up. There wasn't a ton of possession that had, as I said, purpose or intent. So. You know, it's hard for it's hard for these players to to affect things individually when every, when everything's so disrupted and kind of there's no cohesion it's very difficult to create this this kind of momentum in those phases and I think it really comes through in the individual performance too mm. it was a poor game overall to be honest we've, we've highlighted the attack because Watford didn't score any goals but um, it was it was poor at the back as well I, I, I felt at least uh, which which was noticeable because they've been pretty decent um for the last few games but I felt as though particularly in the first half it was very sloppy there were a lot of balls that were played that went straight to the opposition um, just just very poor choices as well Tom what was your opinion of that? Yeah no I agree totally I think something else has been probably overlooked in the analysis up to this point because a lot of it's been on our you know how flat we were up front how, how blunt we were up front but you're totally right the amount of times we managed to seemingly play our way into trouble uh, mm. Just really sloppy, lackadaisical passes, and and from people that actually aren't generally poor in possession like that or careless in possession like that, um, we got away with it a few times as well. But yeah. you know, it was generally it was there was just a real lack of intensity and care taken in what we were doing, and it was almost like they felt that that was the level they could perform at and get the win, you know. And it was just the furthest thing from it. And part of that, I also feel. And I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. It was the um, the insistence on playing out through Hoyt and uh, Porteous at goal kicks. Mm. I gather that they were doing this at Sheffield United as well. But I'm just interested, what, what is the logic there? Because I just don't think it gained us anything at any point and actually put us in more trouble than we needed to on a couple of occasions. So, very odd. Am I right in saying at times um, one of the defenders took the goal kick for Backman? Uh, yeah. More often than not. He yeah. sort of chucked it over to Hoot, who would then kick it back across the face of goal. And I just didn't understand what we were achieving, really. Unless I think it's negating to... Backman's possession, I think, is what they're trying to do. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, Not that maybe. it's effective, but... No, that's it. And look, don't get me wrong, we've all seen what Hoot can do with the ball, you know, if you give it to him and then he big switch out to Saar or whatever, then great. But we didn't even do that. You know, I guess the benefit is you invite them on to press you and then knock it over the top into someone in a bit of space in midfield. But again, we didn't we didn't do that. It just didn't seem to gain anything from it personally. Mm. Well, poor first off and uh, Bilic decided to make a couple of changes to try and, I suppose, generate some kind of response. Um, the changes he made, though, has uh, been met with a few 
questions. Uh, James Morris and uh, Araujo were sacrificed. Um, let's just talk about the two that went off first then. James Morris, um, on the whole, uh, for just judging it from, from Twitter, uh, most people think that he had a fairly decent game and was, was very unlucky to have been taken off. I thought he was okay. I, I, I'm trying to view it. It's, it's, I'm trying to be objective and view it through the lens of what he's contributing now, and and not trying to think about kind of his his kind of story this season in terms of being kind of thrust into that position. I think he did okay. Uh, I don't think he was terrible. Uh, I think he was he was decent. He had a, an okay performance. But I, I think when we're making changes, I, I don't. I don't hate the fact that he was brought off. Even the same for Arouge as well. That's just my personal opinion. On, on okay, okay, that's fair. I, I um I I love to hear different uh, opinions. Uh, Tom, uh, did you do you, do you agree with that, or did or what, what's your what's your view on that one? I don't think he did anything particularly wrong. Um, which I know is not what Jordan's saying, but you know I don't I don't think he had a brilliant game. I don't think he had a terrible game. I think he's um, proven that he's solid enough as a stopgap. He shouldn't be an option. Kind of going forward, but um, no, I, I, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't necessarily have problems with the changes. I just felt a little bit for, for those two, for Arouge, for the reasons that we've outlined already in terms of just not being a de- given a decent crack of the whip, and and Morris just because he wasn't the worst. You know, at the two fullbacks, Cathcart had a far tougher um, first half, and although he got pulled off eventually, but um, just seemed a little bit harsh to go with Morris, but. Actually, putting Semmer deeper, I felt, got him more involved because, as I said for the umpteen time, Preston was so limited that he didn't really have to play left back. He could be, you know, a lot more attacking and had a lot more license or took the license with more abandon to get forwards. And and he got more in the game, having had a fairly meh first half as well. At least it was an aggressive change. We're trying to do something, and mm. uh, and there's a first sign of life we had in that entire game. Really, we kind of it gave us maybe the hope of something different in the second half, at the very least. That's right. The changes were Yasser Aspria and Davis. We'll start with, with the difference that Aspria made, um, which was particularly notable because of his absence in recent weeks, um, and the reasoning behind that was a bit peculiar as well. Tom, do you want to sort of lead us into that one? Well, I don't, has it been, um, I may have missed, has it actually been kind of explicitly said by Billich why he's not been involved? I believe, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say it if I'm wrong here, but I, I, I thought the understanding was Billich uh, thought that he hadn't been performing well in training. Is that, is that right. the line if that's that the case, I've, If that's the case, I've missed that. All I've really seen and heard is people speculating that he's been dropped down to the under-21s for the rest of the season, which I just think, come on get a grip or that he was being given a rest because he was completely and utterly knackered now if that is the case then they've done he's made the most of that rest because he was brilliant off the bench on Saturday Um, but I'm not I'm not sure so I apologise if I've missed some bit of pertinent news there but in terms of his performance he was fantastic it was it changed the game entirely I thought it made us go from being Boring. I don't want to overstate it because obviously we didn't win in the end. But and after an initial kind of flurry of maybe ten or fifteen minutes at the start of the second half, it kind of tapered off again. But he was the only reason I felt like we might get something in that second half. He got high, he got wide, he got in behind, he got on the ball, drove inside, made things happen, um, and just you know 
showed, I think, what we all have se- we've seen from him at, start- at stages this season. And for that reason, they were a bit baffled that he hasn't been included. I understand the kind of, you know, Rule 11 and obviously come over from a, um, a foreign league, which maybe doesn't run to the same schedule as ours, so could have been playing kind of concurrent seasons. I'm not sure if that's true, but I certainly know that... He was, yeah. Yeah, when we signed with Charleston, he kind of came off a full season and then flew straight into a full season with us. So, you know, even younger, it's kind of hard to... to do I appreciate that of how many bodies growing and I'm sure Jordan knows all the kind of physiological things behind that but it's, you know got to be careful and manage it and he's a talent so we want to get it right and not kill him but um, <laughs> you know that team has been so devoid of a spark of creativity for, for weeks now that I just can't believe that Bilic didn't feel unless there's something we don't know that, um, that it couldn't have benefited from at least having him on the bench as an option to throw on. You know, if he's knackered, all right, just throw him on for the last 15, 20 minutes. You know, it's mm. uh, tired legs and all that. Get him in there because he's the only one that can kind of do that at the moment, it seems. So, yeah, I thought he, I thought he was excellent. I, I, I hope we see more of him between now and the end of the season. I hope he's been wrapped up in cotton wool for this run-in. Mm. Jordan? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think he he was a man of the match for me in, in that one. He and give it give it. He was on the pitch for about what forty five forty five minutes. Yeah, no, but he 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 looked like he was playing with a point to prove as well, didn't he? He had some intent and some intensity as well to his game. Uh, I, I thought his position was good. I thought playing him from that kind of occupying that right side it really kind of caters to him cutting in and using his left. We looked at the way his impacted the game previously for us and the assists he've got where he comes he comes in that deeper position. He cuts in or he gets on his left foot and plays it forward. That angled ball, that kind of sweeping, curling ball forwards from the right is really good for him. Uh, and playing on that right-hand side is is useful. And obviously it's difficult normally when Sars in that position more so, but obviously the, the shape towards the end of the game is a little bit different. But having him just in an area where he, he can create, he was coming, he was cutting inside, he was carrying the ball, he was looking for passes, he was turning. Uh, he, he just played with the tempo, with the pace, and has some energy. And he, I think we saw... You know, kind of one of the weaker points of Espria's game where he you know, does some really good trickery, gets past the player, cuts inside, shoots, and the shot leaves quite a lot to be desired. You know, he's an opportunity even to get the ball on target. And he kind of just scoops it over the crossbar. But that sort of player being on the pitch at that time is, is so, so crucial. And if you're looking for ways to improve this team, uh, I think you have to look at Espria as a potential option. And, you know, even playing in the central area midfield again, if you had him on maybe just, just kind of throwing ideas out here, but if you had Chadri occupying that deeper role... Then you had who's on the left and, and a spear on the right of the the midfield in front. You know these are two players that can can play the ball forwards. They can carry. They can they can be involved defensively. I know Espria is not the most physical, but he's got some tenacity to his game. Yeah, these these are opportunities for us, and for him not to be even on the bench, I think would be a real real issue or a real problem or or bad decision in my opinion. Because even if there's a you know a marginal chance that he comes on and does that then you've got something on the bench to use. And there have been games we've had absolutely nothing, and including the ones that he's been absent from. So it was a really good performance from him. Uh, and, you know, that's the sort of the sort of substitute appearance you want your guy to, you want your your 19-year-old to come on and make. Because suddenly, if you're looking at the lineup for QPR, he's got a very good argument to be straight into that team for the next game because he was a standout player from that one. Was there a tactical change there as well, Jordan? In terms of half-time with, um, with, with the two changes? Yeah, I think I think you just need. I, I think it's the thing is the way we operate, the way that we've we've seen this team on the pitch. Is I've used the word a million times by now, but it's so reactive and so improvised that I do often feel like it's about getting an attacking player on for a defensive player in that situation. He's come on. Obviously, we've had to make some some change to the shape, and Sem is having to 
to help more on the left-hand side, but it's just getting someone that can come on and play. And I think the way that the way that um, that Espria was, was was playing, the positions he was taking up, I, I do think we get to see a little bit of natural tendencies and where these players like to play. You know, we, we talk about Jao Pedro. That's that's something he likes to do is drop deep. And I think with Espria, he likes to kind of come from that right-hand side. And we, we, we saw that as well, you know, prior to joining us. And you kind of go back and look at his tape. That's where a lot of his stuff comes from. He plays in the right, cuts inside of the ball, carries it, makes things happen, draws players towards him. He carries it in a slightly different way to Pedro. Pedro's obviously got that kind of rangy, beaten players carrying, covering a lot of ground, where Espria's a lot, you know, a lot tighter in his movement. He kind of gets players off balance a little quicker and, and tries to be a little bit more direct to goal whereas Pedro's just trying to kind of bring the ball forwards but Aspria's generally kind of making that beeline to goal so you know that's something different and I think it's it's positive and we have to look at different ways we can as I said we can get attacking threat out of the team that's been largely blunt for for, for large portions this season. Despite that urgency that uh, that was brought on by uh, by Aspria Tom, um, Watford didn't really improve in their uh, shots on target, did they? What did they get? An extra couple, but nothing really of note. Yeah. No clear-cut chances. Yeah, I think that the problem for me, and obviously shout out if you guys disagree, but I think it's been a problem in just about every game I've watched this season, to be honest, apart from the, a few standout, I was going to say games, but periods in games. It's just that lack of urgency. It feels like if I didn't know any better on Saturday, I would have felt for long periods... <laughs> Like we were still watching a Rob Edwards team, you know, the the execution was poor and it was sloppy, as I said earlier. But it was so slow and laboured, and to be honest with you, we're a team that struggles to score goals. So I'm not saying you know just blindly bludgeon it into the penalty area and try and win second balls and knockdowns and you know pomo and all that sort of stuff, but. I am saying let's get it forward with a bit more urgency. Let's take a few more risks because we can't afford to spend 10 minutes trying to get it into the penalty area and then miss the opportunity and have to wait another 10 minutes. You know, we're not clinical enough, but we're not, we're just not, I don't know, which, which it's urgency for me. It's just urgency. And, and yeah, we had some after introduction of those guys. I doubt, I, 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 I imagine that Billich gave them a bit of a, 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 a rollicking at half time and it was it was improved but it, it kind of tapered off again didn't it and just you know didn't really look like it's going to happen the other things and say was it felt like we were resorting to a lot of falling over in and around the penalty area or little kind of tricks and just trying to be over elaborate and do you know what, just, well, just what Jordan said actually off the cuff no real kind of actual blueprint for how we're going to score a goal one of the things that's kind of leveled at Man City over the last years is they've become too robotic and too um, there's too much of a plan and you know if you close your eyes you can kind of picture the goal that Man City have typically scored but I think if you close your eyes and try and picture the goal that Watford score you can't and you're right resources and whatnot but Jordan said it earlier you know we've gotten lucky with some of the goals that we've even scored lately you know two shutouts in a row West Brom one of them's a massive deflection can't actually even remember the other goals. Burnley, the goal was chaos. You know, there's there's kind of, you can gradually kind of pick these goals apart, these games apart. Even going back to the last win prior to, prior to West Brom, sorry, the you know, the Blackpool win, Toby Adeyemo scores a tap-in and then Ishmael Oscar scores a penalty. You know, I think that's, indicative of the the team we are at the moment so and then have been this season so it's going to be a pretty poor goal of the season competition at the end isn't it 
Yeah, I can't remember. I many think it's going to be the one. That's about it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just... But even that in itself was a freak goal. Well, that sums it, it up, though. That, that really it. does sum it up. Freak yeah. goal. So yeah, that's where I'm at on it anyway. Tom, you've obviously were inside the stadium for that game. I was inside the stadium. The atmosphere, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it felt very stale. I wonder if perhaps we're guilty as fans that we do enough to get behind the team or um, are we right to wait for a sign of life? Yeah, it, look, it was it was flat on Saturday, definitely. They had a little bit of a go in the second half in the rookery. I, you know, I can't sit here and criticise anyone. I didn't sing a thing on Saturday because I'm on the kind of right-hand side as you face the pitch, so it doesn't really make its way over to me unless it's kind of properly raucous. But I don't blame the fans at all. It's a symbiotic relationship. I don't think... You know, any one party has to always go first. It's, you know, if you feel that, I think, affinity with the team and you feel that they're giving their all and they're trying and they're really working um, and showing kind of pride in the shirt and what have you, then, you know, you cut them a bit of slack and you try and get behind them. Um, but do you, recall, do you recall many times when, when the fans have been watching absolute dross but have inspired the team um to something or, or do you not even hold much uh much water on that is that just um fan fiction that uh, yeah, that we have anything at all to do with the game actually, whatsoever does that happen like I don't, I don't even know if, would that happen at a ground that you might typically consider a kind of cauldron of noise if you're playing if your team is playing poorly and playing poorly over a consistent period it is you know human nature for it to not be uh a kind of yeah, bubbling, crackling atmosphere, is it? Um going purely on player interviews that I've watched in the past from players from across all different teams, mm. um, there really is a mix of um some players zone everybody out completely and and they could be playing in front of, you know, it could be locked down again basically. But other players really do um have a a, a change in their performance when there is the, the crowd backing them. So I suppose there's no real definitive answer here, is there? I think I think it's also, I mean, it's a player, well, I don't know. I think it's, it's a player by player thing. And that, I mean, it really depends. Some people take it in as a, some people really do use it as a motivating factor. Some, as you say, they're so, but I think what, what is true is it does change the, they can have an effect on the tempo of things. I think it, it does have a direct impact. Uh, I think generally it's kind of works in unison a little bit more. If there's something to cheer about and the fans start cheering and it kind of works, kind of snowballs from there. I think that's generally the way it happens and it's the most organic way for it to happen. I think it's definitely much harder to kind of create something from nothing when, when things mm. are poor uh, mm. and maybe maybe the players are less reactive to that too. Um, but, you know, these are also guys that are, they have to become somewhat numb to it Um Anyway, you know, I mean, it's a different different sport and so on, but even just from my own experience, you play in front of a, a large crowd, there is an element of, you know, it's a different experience, right? So you have to you have to kind of adapt to that. And these guys have, have been doing it for a while too. So it's it's something which is maybe slightly different than how I perceive it from from the sideline, but there there is an impact there. And it's, it's something that could, you know, it can sway things. It's It, it can change the story of the game somewhat. It's, but it's hard to, it's hard to manufacture, I think. Mm. There is also something to be said about the fact that um, certain parts of the stand uh, sing or 
cheer less than than others which which can yeah, be we're, we're can a be weird different. setup stadium I, I think having you know the, the away end and the singer section so far apart doesn't help in that regard probably um it doesn't exactly conduct noise particularly well either which you know obviously they're not building with that intent but it's not a loud, it's not a loud ground we know whether you know there have been occasions certainly where things have got you know more heated and i'm trying to think what what the best atmosphere i've had at vicarage road is um it's hard. I, it, the one that comes to mind for me was the FA Cup quarterfinal against Palace. I thought was pretty good um, in terms of having an atmosphere. When and that's a game where Palace had a larger section, you know, than the, than the away fans normally would. But it being the FA Cup, they had that whole stand, didn't they? But still, you know, it, I think that kind of the, the the bigger away crowd almost kind of brought us up to them a little bit too. And I think having them even feel a little closer by being bigger helped that as well. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, that's just kind of my opinion on that. I'm trying to think of any, any better examples, but that's one that sticks out for me. Okay then, cool. Uh, we'll move on. Um, right, uh, Davis, he's uh, coming to a bit of um, questions over regarding his performance at the weekend. And in, in general of late, but um, what did you think of his performance once he came on? And uh, has he done anything to change your opinion of his recent performances? I don't think he was too bad, but it wasn't his worst performance by a long stretch. I thought he was far worse against uh, West Brom, I believe. But I think it's the same old kind of thing with him, isn't it? That he isn't in the box. He's a bit kind of languid he slows the play down quite often and that it's not being what i hoped from him this season mm. and that saturday was probably a continuation of that what did you think jordan yeah i think it's probably fair i think it's you know it's it's much harder for someone like davis to come on and have the impact compared to that kind of energy and pace that someone like Aspria brings to the game. You know, Davis naturally just isn't that. But I think, you know, Davis should be, in my opinion, he's someone that a coach would really be happy to work with. You're looking at trying to building offensive structure, having someone like Keenan Davis is, is really useful when you play as well. And you just go look, go and look at any of the kind of not, uh, Nottingham Forest performances he had where he was he was contributing in, in, in those forward areas. And, you know, they, they're a team that had an attacking identity and he slotted into that really well. And they, even though he wasn't available for them all the time, when available, they, they really tried to use him because he just added to it and he, he really helped in in kind of linking those forward, those forward attacking threat that they had. And, you know, you watch him for us and it's completely different. And we see more of the same. You know, he picked up the ball and he's a little bit slow with it and maybe a window closes and he has to go to the to the kind of second read and it's just not really not really happening. And he battled well, obviously, more of a physical match with Diaby, but he wasn't someone that came on and particularly changed the game. And I'm not sure we're going to see... You know, it's not as simple as... I know Bilic kind of said he's got to be playing more to, to score goals and the goal's coming, but, you know, he had a chance, didn't he, with his right foot where he just kind of didn't... just didn't really slot it at home properly. But... I don't really see where that kind of momentum is going to come from as we are, unless we do make some some actual changes in those forward positions. Mm. Sarah's also coming for some criticism. Did did he warrant that after his performance on Saturday? It's oh, more of the same from him, wasn't it? I just again yeah. not his worst performance by a, a long stretch. Here's here's one question I'll ask to both of you: is What? Why is it? That he seems to have this reluctance to take people on mm. with his pace. It's very frustrating. You know, the the isn't amount it? of times you see him sort of stand there and then zoom past the fullback from a standing start, you think, oh my God, he's so quick because he's quite tall for a winger as well, I always think. Um, mm-hmm. You just think, 
why do you not do that more often? I just, I, or even get higher, get wider, you know, stretch the play, make a nuisance of yourself. You know, you might only be able to do it a handful of times before someone gets, or a couple of times before the fullback gets so tight to you or they double up on you or whatever, crowd you out. But, you know, just, I don't know, it just frustrates the hell out of me. We know the player he can be. We've seen him tear Premier League fullbacks apart. I just think it can't be a, a sudden drop-off in ability that he's struggling to influence games this season. I appreciate the other circumstances, but yeah, it just it's infuriating, I think, isn't it? Because we've had worse players and they've been cut more slack because everybody knows they've got a, a ceiling that's fairly obvious. But someone like him, it just, yeah, it's really infuriating, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. I think he's always had that issue of just not taking people on. The, the second half of that game, he felt like he was a little bit more up for it. I'm not sure there was something that I can't quite recall now that spurred on. I'm not sure it was a tackle or something, which kind of a little, somewhat of an injustice against him, which kind of spurred on a little bit of tempo from him, and he was definitely kind of moving about a little faster and being a little bit quicker in his, you know, in his, his decisions and so on. But yeah, I don't really know why he doesn't take take people on you know oftentimes he'll he'll stand up a player and he's, he's in that situation where he's got him isolated it's you know one versus one I'm not saying you know they're, they're through on goal one on one I mean he's got himself the only real person standing in his way is the fullback and he you know Saar Saar has his physical attributes allow him to simply knock and run you know he can do that against players and win the majority of those battles the only thing I can think of because you, you expect every coach to be asking him to do that more the only thing I can think of is that he's just gassed and he just can't do it enough in the game um, but it's not just something that takes place late on in games that happens throughout so yeah. you know he obviously is getting through a lot of work I don't know what his fitness levels are like you know it's, it's possible that he's he could be fitter and he could be dealing with his sprints a lot more it does take a lot out of you going through that he does get back and actually defend a fair amount probably more than you perhaps give him credit for just off the top of your head but if you if you look at his defensive output he's often in the box and weirdly he's often the one clearing from you know some sometimes he's been in the box clearing shots and so on he does get back and I, I do wonder if we kind of rely on him a little bit too much at times and we are leaving him in a position where when it comes to those situations he hasn't got that burst in him uh, when we need it I'm not entirely sure that's the only thing I can think of because if it if he does then I can't really think of any tactical reason for him you know from his own perspective of thinking how am I going to get this ball forward how am I going to you know get a shot on goal or set a teammate up when you've got that talent when you've got that that trick in your locker effectively the one that you can just keep reusing over and over again when those situations arise it's not it's not easy to think of why you wouldn't be doing that if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, well, we've done quite well here. We've gone nearly 60 minutes without addressing the main elephant in the room, that being Slavin Bilic's future. So we're going to move on to that right now. Um, as things stand, Monday evening, uh, there's no corner flag picture, so he's still in charge. Well, there are a lot of corner flag pictures, I'll tell you that. <laughs> there's quite a few. Uh, I, I, there's a few people wanting a corner flag picture, but uh, um, as things stand, there is none. Um, he was asked about his future at the weekend, um, and he said, uh, obviously, um, it's not in my hands, it's not in my control, it's not my decision. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm not bothered, but I'm absolutely concentrated on my job. That is the thing I can have an influence on, um, and the rest is not in my hands. So that's uh, a fair response. I don't know if you could really imagine anything else that he would say uh, up to that question. So I'm going to instead put the question to you guys. Um, I suppose the first one is, how did he manage to uh, survive, given what we know the track record to be from uh, Gino Pozzo? Well, there is an international break looming. That is one thing I will say. Oh, true. Good point, yes. That's in a couple of games' time, right? Mm. So, I mean, you'd think... Weekend that, of the 25th. You'd think, given we've got a few, perhaps, weaker games in brackets, um, they, they might pull the trigger now. But I guess, perhaps, it also means they need to have someone in place. And also, I suppose, one of the questions is, we have to ask if Gino Pozzo has written off this season or not. I don't think he would write off this season because I think we've seen, look, I don't think he's a man to kind of concede anything being a lost cause. We saw him put Graham Stack and Hayden Mullins in charge of games against Man City and Arsenal when our Premier League survival depended on it. <laughs> so if he can do that, then he can do bloody anything. Um, which is no disrespect to Stack and Mullins, just, you know, under 23 coaches, it was insane. Um, but I do wonder if there's an element of ego in this that Scott Duxbury so strongly nailed him his name to the the Rob Edwards appointment that we obviously saw the change we discussed that ad nauseum at the time has Billich gone with sorry has Pozzo now gone with Billich and thought well I'm going to bloody well see this through and be proven right you know that kind of Um, defiant yeah defiance exactly that's the perfect word that's the only thing I'd say but I you know I think you're right actually Matt uh, international break looming you know if we've, if we've got nine eight games we'll go to go at that point whatever it is I can 
absolutely see a situation where he twists because I, I, I think the appointment of Bilic in itself said it's we've got to be getting promoted this season one way or another by hook or by crook. You know, get into sixth place on disciplinary record on the final day of the season, win the playoff final with a goal off the referee's arse. It's, you know, we've got to get up, whatever it is. There's no pictures on the scoreboard. So, yeah, I could totally see them changing. I don't know if we're at desperation point yet, but I think we're only a game or two away. And that was a question from Steed RO on Twitter, by the way. How, how much does the financial implication play into it as well? Well, that was one of that was one of the things that he suggested. I think it's Richard Steed um, said. I, I, yeah, I wonder is it is it kind of in? Do you mean in the sense of paying off Billich, or do you mean the? Yeah, what's what's the you know without we don't really know what the the situation is with him from that perspective. Do in terms of what's the cost of doing so, um, and I think I think there's an element of ego too and. As you put the the points you raised there, I think are valid. You know, we're trying to decipher uh, uh, the kind of the decisions or, or lack of decisions from from a, a, an entity. We're not really too we're never really too sure on. So it's hard to, it's hard to say. But you know, these are, this is a time where so if you're watching the performance of the game, it's been quite clear for a while we're not seeing it uh, if, with the kind of reaction or reactivity we we normally get from our owner. You'd expect that we'd be looking at other options at this point because generally, if we had a, a manager performing in, in this way, then you know we, we'd have moved on. I mean, I think Rob, the the difference in in points per game between Rob and Bilic is is marginal, extremely marginal. I'm talking about fractions of a point um, difference between them. Uh, it, it's pretty similar in terms of, of outcome, but it, in terms of performance, I think it's arguably been worse in the sense that we're not seeing any trajectory and we also have to remember too you know this is uh, it, it might if you if you're looking even just to compare robin robin and slavin as, as this has happened quite a, uh, quite a lot in the last couple of weeks or so we've been looking at you know this guy got sacked for this and so on i think what we have to really consider too is that edwards was brought in as a, as a project coach someone that was you know you'd, you'd expect for to have time and, and, and to progress Billy just brought in as a as an immediate solution, as a as a as a win now sort of coach. He was he came in here to to get something out of the team in the short term, give us a promotion, push at least, um, and, and kind of use that that history, that background that he has as a coach to get us in, improved and get us in the ways now. We're not looking at a coach where we should be saying, you know, we, we can see some some signs here of improvement. You know, if we have a, a couple of windows behind him, we get the recruit. We, we're not thinking of that because I don't think anyone really has, feels under the illusion that Birch is going to be here past this season anyway. So, you know, that's even less of a motivation to necessarily stick with him because it's not like he's the Rob Edwards that you're expecting to be here for a few years or he's the whoever the next guy is. He's brought in to, to to make an impact, and simply hasn't really made a positive impact. We've not really improved in any aspect, in any area, apart from some of the players that we've that have come in have improved the team in, in certain positions, like centre back, for example. But has the team? Does the team look much better now than they did under Rob Edwards? Not particularly, I don't think. Well, here's a question for you then, um, and this one's from Lee Jackson underscore one. If the result against QPR doesn't go our way, do you think? Podser will pull the trigger then, or do you think that uh, he will wait uh, in, until the, um, the 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 break? Yeah, I mean, I think there's. I, I did mention the break just because of history, but I think that I think if he loses at QPR, I mean, 
it's hard to argue with it in, in some ways. And I, I, I respect the arguments for and against uh, in regards to Bilic, but if you're taking into account, if we're not talking about even necessarily what we feel should happen, what we think likely to happen, I, I think there's a there's a, a solid chance that he would he would be gone after defeat to, um, to to QPR. The only thing that gives me any hesitation in that is the fact that he's not been fired already. Actually, mm. that is that is the one point that uh, still makes it uncertain as to what will happen. Well, I'll tell you what then. Um, We've had a couple of questions here, one from at Cameron Smart underscore and one from at MSNRVN, uh, who both asks a similar question, which is, who do we replace Bilic with and when do we replace him slash what replacements from each of you? So uh, Tom uh, briefed us about this question before we came on air. So we, we've had a little a few moments to think about something. I think you briefed me about three minutes before we started recording. Whoa! I did. No, you did. My friend. No, I know you did. In <laughs> fairness, you did send. You did send a message. But you're. But I think it, it would be boringly easy for you if you were given time to prayer. Some of us need. Time I don't know. I don't know, Tom. <laughs> I'll go first. How about that? Then that'll buy you a little yeah. bit more time. Uh, shall I? Shall I answer all three of those questions in one hit, Matt? Yes, please. So, who do we replace Bilic with and when do we replace him and ideal Bilic replacements? When do we replace him? And actually, so right, hang on. <clears throat> so the, the two questions essentially are when does he go and who comes in? Boiled down. I think when does he go? Honestly, I think it could be at any point. I don't, I do think it's almost like a, coin toss you know the straw that breaks the camel's back result if we are particularly bad at QPR who are in miserable form as I detailed earlier then I could see it being Saturday but I think that international break after QPR Birmingham and um, Wigan two of those at home you know three poor sides essentially that is the time isn't it prior to Luton you know really get someone in to work with them G him up before Luton. Um, and then you've got, what have you got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight at that point to go. I think if you left it any later than that, it's probably curtains anyway. I think it might be as it is just because of how poor we are. But I think that genuinely is the kind of final nail in the coffin if we don't hit some kind of, not even form, but you know, start getting some results at that stage. In terms of who it will be, it's always, you know, bit of a sticker blindfold on and chuck a dartboard at some moving target. Chuck a dartboard, chuck a dart, much easier. At some moving target. I think we've chucked a dartboard a few times at some of our choices, actually. actually. Dartboard's out the pub window. Um, (laughs) But the other aspect of this is what division are we going to be in? Is it an appointment for the rest of this season? You know, there's so many circumstances. Are we appointing for the current squad? Are we appointing for next season's squad? Next season's squad could obviously look very different to this season's squad so I'm going to go with someone I've got two people and they're both kind of different but I've gone with people that I would like to see and then you kind of supply the squad for them obviously that's fraught with danger as we know Rob Edwards hello how are you Um, but those players those managers sorry are one Kieran McKenna who has done a very good job at Ipswich done a very good job of picking up a club that is really on its uppers you know, high turnover of players and manager, 
big expectations compared to where they were in the league. You know, really, obviously, a, a low ebb for them given where they've been to be plodding along in in League One. I think was he actually linked with us at one point as well. Actually, just he was. Uh, yeah, that's only just come into my mind. So I, you know, I don't know if there's anything in that or if that kind of it, it makes that link more likely. But also the kind of the style of play appeals that you know they're third in League One, uh, but they are the top goal scorers they are up there no one's had more shots than them they are kind of top of every passing metric their xg is number one in the division xg against is only third in the division they win the ball back in the opposing half um quite a lot you know they are a good team and it seems to me from afar i can't i cannot pretend i've watched them for one second but it seems to me uh, from afar that they are well coached and he's done a good job of kind of resetting the culture there a bit, recruited well and so on. So that would be one if I was going to go down the, the route. Of I can't the... remember if we just, sorry, just I can't remember if I ever did a video, if I maybe even recorded the video and never posted it on McKenna, but I feel like we discussed him at length before, when, just before Edward was, was appointed. But, um... I think we did, didn't we? Yeah, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but if yeah, anyway, if you did want to, um, if if I did do that, or if we did talk about, it, I'll try and link it. If if not, it maybe doesn't even exist. Let them know. <laughs> it may but, or may not be a video out there. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is John Eustace, purely for emotional reasons, because you know I'm I'm a sucker for a uh, John Eustace, and if he's proven anything, I think that he can work in batshit mental conditions at Birmingham <laughs> City. We aren't a million miles away from that. Um, and he would get instant respect, I think, and time and patience from the fans. But again, as we saw with Rob Edwards, that kind of project manager, and I guess Kieran McKenna is that to an extent as well, probably doesn't get the time they need to to do the job. So, yeah, no. don't hold out much hope. All right, I'm going to go for a... This is more of an ideological appointment in terms of what I think we need. So uh, I think, as Tom said, there's a lot of factors to kind of put that play a part in deciding the actual appointment in terms of what division we're in, when it happens, and so on. In terms of when it should happen, if if my suggestion is is someone that would would do it, then I'd say as soon as possible. But I would say someone that needs to come in has to be. Most importantly for me, it needs to be a bridge. I think we're, we're we're in a transitional phase right now. I think we have to ease that transition. I think we have to bring in a coach who uh, who can line align with the the sort of recruitment we're doing, uh, or we'll look we'll be looking to do in the in the next coming windows in the summer and you know windows ahead. So that's obviously got to be part of it. I think that's one of the most important factors. How do we bring in someone that that, that can suit that? But also, um, it, it has to be someone whose football is is something that we can maybe aspire to continue when he's gone. We shouldn't be looking at the coaches, even if it's a project coach longer term. You've got to kind of look at your club and say what sort of football we're looking to play. What avenues are we going to be going down in terms of recruitment from players and and and, and head coaches and so on? So we've got to have that consistency. And I think Ralph, I think Ralph Hasenhutter will be a, a great option there. Uh, one, I think he's obviously you you can talk about experience. It's not a bad thing that he has that Premier League experience and background and experience in England and so on. But most importantly for me, he plays a football which is very recruitable. 
Um, we, we're going down the younger age demographic, the type of football he plays. You need to have youth in that team. You you have to have that. Um, you have to have that energy, the, that kind of adaptability, and also that coachability that the young players provide. Uh, we also have to have an element of you know culture to the players too, which I think in the markets we're looking for, I think will be quite suited to this. You know, there's a German connection between I don't know Hassan who does Austrian, but he has that German background too. Um, German background with Manga in terms of um, principles, philosophy of football, and targets they'll be looking at. Whilst Manga likes to look at other areas as as does Costa as well. You know, looking in Portugal and Mexico and so on. They have a history of of recruiting for the Bundesliga and you know there's that connection there which I do like uh, but also you know Hassan Hood or someone too which he's he has more than enough ideas uh, in, in terms of how he you know portrays himself and brings his footballing ideas across and the kind of football he plays but he does have the kind of experience of you know projecting those ideas into players and I think where we are now it has to happen quite quickly and having a manager that's quite assertive and you know confident in his application I think is quite important too uh, so having him come in and be be that guy that can be that bridge essentially because you know Hassan Hudo has the option that he could be here for a longer period of time he could be here for a couple of seasons in an ideal world but he's also someone that if he was to move on I feel quite confident you can bring someone in that is in that mould with some fresh ideas but still consistent enough to kind of slowly change over from that that period of time we've been in over the last you know 10 years where it's so quick and change but also so different we can have some some stability in a sense um, with a still, still potential for turnover in head coach position I could see them going for someone like Hassan Hoodle actually as a kind of if finances allow obviously but you know to kind of say right we're really making a go for it you know as you say the Bundesliga connection with Ben Manga which is another factor I forgot to mention in in kind of what direction we go in and therefore I think actually someone like Hassan Hoodle probably is much more likely than Kieran McKenna Um, but also he is a he's a name and I do think this is not to kind of undermine all the points you just made. I do think they quite like going with the names, don't they? You know, people that. Well, that's it. Yeah, they do. But also that that has there is you know there is some value to that. But I think yeah, you know yeah. the the sort of coach that he is in terms of what you know just just as a real brief um, discussion on him. He does play you know aggressive counter pressing football. He likes to play with a level of you know intensity. Um, he likes to play with you know, athletic. Um, aggressive players and I think that's an area we're going to be looking at and you look at some of the players we have in the squad right now I think it's relatively well suited and I think one of the key things we have to think about here in terms of this this team progressing and this club you know moving forward and, and having a bigger picture plan for that first team if that is what's going to happen one window isn't really enough um, to, to really change the direction of this squad there's going to be lots of comings and goings it's going to take a little while to get that consistency and I think someone like Hassan Hoodle has enough flexibility in the style of play that he plays, but it's also, in my opinion, in it, it's in the kind of direction where I think football is still going uh, enough or close enough to that that even if you're bringing in, you know, kind of the next two managers after him, you can still be kind of carrying on from something rather than having to start again from a recruitment spec- perspective, from a play style perspective as well. Interesting. Okay, um, I'm going to go for someone very obscure and random. Um, because I'm wondering if Watford are going to go back to that kind of pattern of bringing in people that were very left field that we would never have thought about. I mean, yes, you're re- you're right, you're right, uh, Tom. Recently, they have been going for the names, haven't they? There was Rui Hodgson, Renieri. Um, 
but I think they're going to go back to to the obscurity. So I'm going to go for Ruby, uh, or to give him to his full name, uh, Juan Francesc Ferrera Cecilia, which uh, is his full name. Um, are you familiar with Ruby? I'm not. No. Okay, so let me take you take you back. Uh, he's been around for a little while. He is 53, but. Um, he didn't have a particularly good career as a player, but he has uh, sort of steadily grown in his managerial career. He started off with some lesser known clubs um, before eventually sort of making it a little bit with the likes of Girona and Valladolid. Um, in recent times, um, he's been very successful, actually. In the 2017-18 season, he got Esco promoted to the first division for the first time ever. Um, he then took Espanyol to seventh uh, in, in La Liga and got them uh, qualification for Europe. Um, he didn't have such a great time at Betis the year after, but in the following uh, season, he got Almera promoted from uh, the uh, the second division, uh, this time uh, finishing top of the second division um, to take them up to La Liga, um, where currently they're struggling a little bit. But I get the sense this is the kind of guy that would be tempted by um, the opposition, the, the opportunity to play, uh, to, sorry, to manage in the championship. He's got that kind of feel that it's the kind of appointment that uh, that the Watford bosses would like the sound of. Um, he likes to play uh, attacking football. Um, he studied under the likes of um, Tito Villanova. Um, so I think that he would be a, a in with a shout of being the random selection. I think that's perfect. a fun. That's a fun is. left field selection. There, I've, I have. I get the impression you'd like a you like a Spanish coach, man. I just get that feeling from you. I do. I do actually. Yeah. yeah. He's managed nearly six hundred and fifty games in his career, and never stayed longer than a hundred games. Sorry, only one stayed longer than a hundred games. So Another reason why he's perfect. perfect. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Exactly. I think you. I may be wrong on this. The times might not line up too, but. It's possible that he took over from Kika Sanchez Flores at Espanyol as well, which if he turned that Espanyol team around, that was... I watched a lot of the Liga over those years and that Espanyol team was particularly dire to watch. So if he was the one that managed to, to kind of get those back on course, then even more credit to him. I don't know whether he speaks English, though. That would be a, probably a, a defining factor, wouldn't it? But um, not worry about it. I mean, to be honest, we brought, we brought in Beppe Sanino and he bought, hardly spoke a word, did he? So, uh, yeah, and Walter Mazzari. Oh, yeah, good point, good point. Anyway, then that's my left field uh, suggestion. Um, good choices. Who knows? Like it. Who knows? I mean, if he turns up at Watford now, fair play. Everyone listening to this, buy me a beer if that happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, we'll finish off with a couple of questions that didn't fit in anywhere else. Um, you've listed them down as AOB questions, uh, Tom. I don't know what yes, that means, sir. but... Any other business? Ah, any other business. Okay, thank you. Uh, this one from uh, at... Sopana Lee, who uh, asked the question, will we make the top 10? <laughs> right this moment, yeah. I, I honestly think that is a big question. I think that's a real danger that we don't, personally. If we don't make the playoffs, I don't want us to make, I almost don't want us to make top 10. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I want us to completely tank it if we're not going to make the playoffs. As yeah, like I want it to be a statement. Of, that's it. Show that we can't just keep running the football club like this, personally. Mm-hmm. I and think get the number one pick in the draft. That's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I'm now I'm now just thinking of how depressing it would be to watch 
us be bad in the draft as well. <laughs> that would be awful, wouldn't we? It's a whole other element of, of pain. How often would they sell their option, though? I'm like every single season, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah we'd, we'd, I'm sure, yeah, we'd probably invest. We'd probably get rid of the number one pick to pick up some guy we don't really interest in and we have to watch the first round without having a pick. Yeah, that, that would be a very what that's, that's how we yeah. do it, yeah. Um, I, I think we will, only because I have these nightmares that we're going to end up losing to Luton in the... Uh, well, I, well, I want to say playoff final, but I don't rate us to get there, so maybe semi-final. I, I have a... I have a horrible feeling that's going to happen, but you think we're going to play us though. It does not happen, but um, yeah. Uh, and then the last question, this one from at uh, GWR underscore Nick: What formation will maximise the squad's potential? I mean, that's the uh, that's the golden question. That one. What do you reckon, Jordan? Um, okay, I would say if to, to maximise this in, in terms of just the rest of the season, is that the question? I mean, presumably he's talking about currently rather than yeah know, okay I don't know if you meant like yeah okay um, I would say I think a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 uh, no actually no I would say a 4-3-3 I think that suits us best now I think when I say 4-3-3 the difference between that and the 4-2-3-1 what I mean is having two midfielders advanced of Hamza Chowdhury playing that deep position I think one of the problems we've really seen in recent weeks, given our running, especially because we are playing more def- more kind of defensive teams, teams that are lower in the division, they could be looking to kind of contain us like Preston did. Too often we've seen Hamza Chowdhury on the ball, uh, kind of in, just in front of those centre backs. He's been allowed the space, looking, you know, screening across, trying to find those passes, and they're just really not there. Those forward you know, options for him, I think, to break teams down, we have to go a little bit kind of into a different, you know, different mode. Effectively, if if I was to say our best best formation overall it might not be this before we have left I would say having two midfielders ahead of him whether that's loser and Kone or loser and Espria or whoever I think you need to have those passing options and whilst Jao is great and I think in an ideal world if I had to say Jao's best position and where I want him to play it would be in that slightly deeper position for us but given the situation we're in I think I'd like to see him more advanced and, and see two midfielders ahead of Chowdhury just to try and help us break that that kind of block down and find routes forward find a way to kind of get possession in meaningful ways and actually progress the ball up the pitch a little bit more consistently I think we need to have more passing options available because we look like a really bad team in those moments you know I don't want to see Hamza Chad with the ball kind of looking around for that option much anymore because it's really getting tiresome it's not effective and and we're we're struggling to break that first line uh, and it's really really hurting us so I'd say a 4-3-3 Tom what would you like to see? I would gone. also like to see a four-three-three. I think as well. I, I just think it's especially at home and against Preston. I know I'm prattling on about how bad Preston were, and or limited Preston were. They're actually good away from home, more wins away from home than at home. But you know, particularly for those home games, I just think four-three-three. Go for four-three-three. You can. That's much more um, adventurous. You know, you've got the wingers. Get them higher up the field. Get them wider. <laughs> In certain instances, get them closer to Keenan Davis. In other instances, that's what he's there to do, isn't it? That's his strength. Let the likes of Pedro and Saar play off, and I think Pedro coming in off the left is fine. You can get Kamara or Morris bombing on into that space. Um, it probably means that Ken Semmer misses out, which is sad. But equally, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him in there and Pedro um, rather than Pedro and Saar. Um, 
And, you know, in reality, fullbacks get high, get wide, get on, but Chowdhury drops in and it becomes 3-4-3 three, three anyway. But that's probably what I'd like to see. And I actually quite like Jordan's idea of putting a Spreer in there as that kind of like eight and a half, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I think he's he's got that ability. The, the word I used in the voice note that I sent in case I couldn't make it tonight was elasticity. I love the way mm-hmm. he like almost like slingshots himself in and out of space. Like he takes the ball in a tight area and very quickly just like pings out of space. Like yeah. just this touch and everything about him is just really joyous to watch. So the more of that we can do, the better. Um, I think he is someone that we should be utilising, as I said earlier. So I'll stop repeating myself. Four, three, three. A plan, plan B as well for me too in that situation. I also think there's a, it depending on what person I have available, I, I think I, I question our ability to make it work or I question our head coach's likelihood to, to kind of make adjustments necessarily but if you had a 3-5-2 sort of setup and you had say Ken Semmer quite offensive 3-5-2 as well I mean by this yeah. and you had say a Ken Semmer on the left and then maybe a Jal Ferreira on the right um, if he was fully fit I think Wesley Hoot at, at left centre back gives you a little bit more um adaptability to this this shape uh, you know Porteous is that more combative central defender and then Craig Cathcart on the right you've also got some options in midfield you can have your Chowdhury and you can have your loser but you can also still use the Pedro and maybe it, it means playing Sarah a little bit more centrally or giving him the freedom and then you can have that for you know just look at different options I think that's what we've got to be doing and I think when we've got the games coming up that we have it's more of a game by game basis now we're in the final run into this uh, to this kind of playoff push so you know, we've got to be switched on. We've got to be making changes and and being adaptable and, and finding ways to kind of win these games as they come. That sounds like a real football answer at the end there. It wasn't meant to be. Cliche. <laughs> uh, I'll go for a 4-4-1-1. Um, I would like to see um, the centre midfield partnership of Loser and Cleverly, who I believe is close to being back. Is that right? Seems like I think he's, he's, I think he's due he to make the... the yeah, I think it's due to make one of the warm-ups in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think I think I think I'd like to see Cleverly back in the team as soon as as soon as he can. Um and I would like to see a um a kind of similar partnership between Troy Deedy and Davidra, but with uh one of Davis or Asombalonga with uh, Rouge playing off them. Um and Please, I, Davis. I'm gonna uh relegate um pedro to the left or right side playing in that weird kind of midfield left but pushing higher up um with sarah on the other side and i'm just gonna tell him look is we're playing like this so just get used to it and uh stop whining you're really strong is there (laughs) is is there an argument to aspria starting over sarah in that position uh yeah the, yeah there probably is yeah and is it maybe looking at maybe just a QPR game in particular perhaps so would how would you feel if if um we lined up in the same shape but but Aspria started ahead what the four two three one yeah and you you see Aspria play on the on the actual right wing I, I mean at this point I you know I I don't mind if they get the uh, the kitchen staff to uh, to go out there I mean. <laughs> whatever gets to the wing right yeah fair. <laughs> But yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, Aspria yeah. Spree was was the one um, shining light of, of Saturday, so he has to be involved, doesn't he, for QPR? Is that all the questions? That's everything. We've done it. 
That's it. All right, I'm not sure how long this will end up being after we've been edited down, but an hour and 35 of solid Watford talk, so... Yeah, well well done, gents. We've basically done uh, 90 minutes uh, plus... Yeah. Uh, We've we've done a whole game. We could have subbed a while ago, yeah, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this one uh, longer than uh, than usual, but um, there was a lot to talk about, wasn't there? And... um, I think I think we've managed to kind of um, soothe some of our pain by talking it through. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is honestly ninety nine percent of this um, podcast is about soothing our feelings after <laughs> uh, as as Watford fans. But we do appreciate the questions. Thanks everyone that sent the questions in as well. Always greatly appreciated. We like reading those and attempting to answer them as best we can. Mm. And I'd also yeah. like to thank Jordan for his uh, very good YouTube videos where he's been. Um, talking a bit more tactically uh, about, well, various things. Jordan, do you want to give yourself a little plug? Yeah, sure, thanks. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've been infrequently making some videos on YouTube. There, I do have a YouTube channel at Watford Analytics. I guess it's not going to be at Watford Analytics. It's Watford Analytics on YouTube. Um, hopefully you'll be posting more regularly, but I have done one recently. So yeah, if you could just give me a, a subscribe to me and then if I post one, you'll see it. But generally we're going to talk about, again, maybe more questions or having a little look at things perhaps in a more granular sense. Uh, but yeah, come over, give me a follow. And also don't forget to follow us on Twitter as well because when we do post for these questions, we do it through the What for Buzz page, but also sometimes individually we'll also ask the questions from you guys too. And it's just another way of being able to interact with you also. That's right. Please and, uh, do so. Tom, you write the occasional article. Do you want to uh, give yourself a little... Yeah, I've not felt particularly inspired to write about Watford lately, <laughs> certainly not anything positive, but when, when they inevitably do sack Billich, uh, you can be sure that I will share my thoughts uh, on my medium, which as I fill for time, I'm just trying to find, how do you find my medium? Uh, at TomBadell276. So yes, go there for and, misery. And Matt has an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have nothing. I have nothing. Um, but if anyone... You can, tune in, to, you can tune in to hear you on the radio. I, I, well, yes. I mean, if, if anyone's interested in, in listening to other football teams, then I do commentary uh, for various local BBC stations. Um, and you can tune in and listen to me chat about teams that are actually doing well, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is, is quite a nice break sometimes from being a Watford fan talking about other teams but anyway right that's um, or you can catch them both at Vicarage Road which in which so, quick side now I'm to mate that. fair, fair. Who does? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so catch you both at Vicarage Road but if we do get to the playoffs I might be back in England around that time I haven't figured out oh. dates yet but I'm planning to come back around this sort of springtime so I would like to tie it into a Watford game if so that'd be great to get down there as well with both of you but yeah we'll see I'll keep you posted on that one excellent beers o'clock yeah. right beers o'clock yeah alright anyway Jordan famously doesn't like beer I'd like... <laughs> start that's again. I, that's what I heard. <laughs> Whilst I worked at a brewery. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Just scolding everyone that came in to buy a pint. Well, if you yeah, take my recommendations, but it's really bad for you. You shouldn't drink it. Awful. Um, good stuff. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, 
we've uh, if you've enjoyed this one in a in a weird way, um, and we'll be back hopefully after the uh, the QPR fixture to who knows discuss maybe about departures of some kind. We we don't know. <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? Um, but hopefully a better performance at the very least. Um, so from myself, Matt Messiano, from Jordan, and from Tom, we've been the What for Buzz, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>